when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, welcome to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. I'm your host, Sari Delamont, and I am so glad to be back. I was not podcasting for several weeks there for a while. April was absolutely nuts, both parents in and out of the hospital, having to do some medical testing myself, Um, nothing major, just a skin thing where I had to do this patch testing, couldn't shower for seven days. Anyway, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy April, but I am glad to be back with you, my trial attorneys, yet again, and I'm just so thrilled. I continue to get messages from you nearly every day telling me how much you're enjoying the podcast. Uh, So many of you use the word binging, so I'm glad to be back because we want to make sure that we're getting you these podcasts as much as possible. My goal is to get you a podcast a week, and then in addition, where I'm doing a Facebook Live. Come and join us on the From Hostage to Hero Facebook group. I know a lot of you are not on Facebook, but that group is growing. And that's where you can ask me questions every morning at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Wednesdays. I'll teach a little bit and then I'll take questions about the very things that I'm podcasting on right now. And then I also post our blog in there and other goodies throughout the week. If you're not already on our uh, email list, make sure that you do that. You can go to sorrydlm.com and get signed up for our email list there. Our website will be changing soon. So we'll let you know when that's happening as we're making some changes around here. But to get back on track today, we're going to be talking about the third limiting belief. As you know, if you've been following the podcast, we started by talking about the concept, which is in my upcoming book. I now, I don't have a publishing date, but we're thinking fall of this year. So probably pre-orders in the summer. This is what we're hoping for. I'll keep you updated. In my book, From Hostage to Hero, the concept that jurors are hostages and that as such, they cannot make a decision for you, at least not a good one, at trial until and unless we get them to willingly participate in the process. So the first six or seven podcasts, we talked about why that was the case going through the SCARF model from David Rock's Your uh, Brain at Work in terms of how your brain gets under attack uh, when you are in certain social situations. For example, status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. If any of those things are um, threatened, that absolutely translates into a brain attack. And so we know we attack those five areas for jurors, particularly through the trial process. But as we've been looking at in the last several podcasts, you are also a hostage, you the trial attorney. And what has taken you hostage? Fear. And so as we've been talking about this, we've been talking about the limiting beliefs that I have seen across the board with all of my clients, with those of you who I meet at seminars and around the country when I'm traveling and and we are talking together, having coffee together, having drinks together. 
These are the things that I continually see pop up over and over again. And so we've been going through those one at a time. So a couple podcasts ago, we started with limiting belief number one, which is there is quote unquote, a right way to do this. And by right way to do this, I mean trial. So that has been a huge one. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, I suggest that you go back and listen to that one because I think out of all the limiting beliefs, that one's a big one is that you guys are constantly on this look or the search for the formula, the one right way that will release you from your fear and finally give you the way to do this right. And as we discussed in that podcast, there is no such thing as much as I would love to give you a formula that will release all of your fear and tell you this is the right way to do it. It just doesn't exist. So that's the first limiting belief. You can go back and listen to that one if you want to explore that a little more. The next limiting belief we talked about is I have to be like famous so-and-so trial attorney, you know, insert here, whether that's Jerry Spence, Nick Rowley, Rick Friedman. Did I say Rick Rowley? No, I said Nick Rowley. Okay, good. Uh, Whoever it may be, that they are the person that you need to be like in order to win. And we also talked about how that's a limiting belief, and that's not also true. So today, we're going to talk about the third limiting belief that I see across the board, and that is you believe that the stories you tell yourself are true. So let's first start by talking about what I mean by stories. Stories in is what I'm talking about when we see something happening or we worry in advance, many of us do this, about something happening and we make up a story to either what we're seeing or what we're anticipating happening. And that story oftentimes is not based in any sort of reality. So let's just take a non-legal example. So for example, let's say you're standing in your break room at work and, or not, you're not standing there, but you walk into the break room and there's two people standing there and they were talking, but the minute that you walk in, suddenly they stop talking. And so what do most of us do? We immediately start making up a story. Oh, are they talking about me? You know, what are they talking about? It must be about me. They stopped talking when I walked in here, so on and so forth. Or let's say your spouse or your significant other says they're going to be home at 630 and it's now seven o'clock. They're half an hour late boy, our mind makes up all sorts of stories. They're having an affair. They've been in a car crash, you know, whatever it may be. The brain is wired for stories. You know, you've heard that many of you, um, when we're talking about the power of stories, but in terms of these types of stories, these stories don't tend to serve you very well because the brain wants to take information that it doesn't understand and put together a narrative. And the problem with that is that most of our stories are not based on reality. And the the problem is, is that our brain doesn't get the difference. <laughs> Meaning the, the brain and therefore our body, because body language begins in the brain, believes the stories we tell it. It makes me think about how emotion or feeling happens. Emotion and feeling happens in the body, but it always, always, always can be traced back to a thought. Meaning whatever we are feeling in the moment, we can trace back to some thought 
that triggered that feeling. So when we tell these stories, and if these stories aren't true, our body and our brain doesn't know the difference, and it will act as if it is true. And this gets us into all sorts of trouble. I mean, take one of the stories that is quite popular with my trial attorney clients, which is, you know, conservative jurors can't be trusted. And so you come into trial with this story, conservative jurors can't be trusted. And what do you do? You stand in front of this group, maybe you're in a conservative area, and you say to them, you know, I hope you trust me and believe in me, whether you say that, you know, out loud or in the actual, you know, presentation, that's basically your gist. And but what are you actually thinking? You're thinking, but I don't trust you. I don't trust you. That's incongruent. And guess what? Jurors can pick up on that incongruency. Here's the issue is that I'm not going to suggest that it is possible for you to stop making up stories. I don't think that it is. Again, the brain is wired for stories. But my question to you is, does the story serve you? And if it doesn't, then we need to let it go. It's not even necessarily the question of, is the story true? Uh, Let me give you an example. So I had a female client who signed up for some coaching with me. And she said, and when I asked her, you know, why are you doing coaching? Why did you sign up for coaching? She said, well, because I'm a female attorney. And I said, and and she said, and that's really hard, which of course it is. But I, I continued to dig and I said, and why? And, you know, out tumbles the story about how she was in trial recently her co-counsel is male, the opposing counsel, two males. And she said in the entire trial, they refused to speak to me. They only spoke to my co-counsel. And I said, and what story are you making up about that? And she said, I'm not making up any story. Obviously they're sexist. And I said, well, how do you know that? And she said, well, they didn't talk to me. And I said, well, there's a variety of options and other explanations for why they weren't talking to you. She said, like what? And I said, well, I'm just making this up, but let's say on morning one, you're getting prepared for trial, you're looking through your notes, something, and one of them tries to get your attention and you don't see it. And they think that you're not very approachable. They don't understand that you didn't see it. They're just thinking that you're being unapproachable. And so they just start talking to your co-counsel because they find him to be more friendly. I said, isn't that possible? She said, well, Sure. I said, but then because you made up this story that they're not talking to you based on your sex, now you start to become unapproachable. You start to communicate, don't approach me, don't even try, buddy. And that further entrenches their story. Is that possible? She said, well, sure. And I said, and now we come to the end of trial and no one's talking to anyone else and both people have stories that are made up and we don't know what's true, but what we do know is that communication isn't happening. Now, I said, look, I'm not suggesting that they aren't sexist. They may very well be sexist. (laughs) In today's day and age, unfortunately, they probably are sexist if that's happening. That's not my point. My point isn't, is the story true? My question to you and to all of you listeners is, does the story serve you? Period. 
because that story did not serve her because it got under her skin. It started to affect her performance. And listen, I am all about helping you have your highest and best performance, not just in trial, but in life. I have now dedicated my entire career to helping you find and become your best self in court and in life. And I'm telling you right now that stories have the potential to absolutely destroy you. Whether that's stories in terms of your personal life or stories that you're telling yourself in court. You know, Randy Kennard, I may have told this story either here or in another podcast, but I'll tell it again. Such a great story. He's given me permission to share it. He's an inner circle member out in Tennessee. Love Randy. And he tells me the story about how when he was in trial once, he was uh, watching this particular juror and he said, sorry, this juror's body language was just awful. I mean, he had a scowl on his face. He was leaning forward, arms across his chest. And he just continued to communicate to me that he did not like me. And he said, I became obsessed with this juror. And this is what we do, don't we? I mean, when when you guys come out to work with me one-on-one or come out to our studio class, we talk a lot about how you tend to misread body language. You see one thing and you start making up a story about what you think it means. And most of the time, you're wrong. I'm happy to do a podcast. I should make a note of all these things I keep saying. I'm happy to do a podcast. But I am happy to do a podcast on what types of body language you can safely ignore. It's hard to do that on podcasts, as you might imagine. The online course that we're creating is going to have a ton of videos showing you this very thing. So be on the lookout for that. But you do this and and you make up stories and and that'd be one thing if it was just this little side thing, but it's not. It takes you off your game. So for example, for Randy, he said, I was obsessed with this juror. I would just be focused on him all during trial. Trial would end. I would drive home. I would be thinking about this juror. I'd go to sleep. I'd have nightmares about this juror. I'd wake up in the morning. I'd eat breakfast. I'd think about this juror. I'd drive back to the courthouse and I'd be thinking about this juror. He's like, I'm just obsessed. This guy hates me. He's going to kill my case, so on and so forth. It was a four-week trial, a month that Randy put himself through this. And at the end of the trial, the jury decides against him, 11 against him, one for him. And he said, I'm walking down the hall afterwards. And he said, wouldn't you know it, this very juror, he comes up to me and he sticks his finger in my face and he says, I just want you to know. And Randy's thinking, great, here we go. But the juror says, I just want you to know that I was the only person for you back there. And Randy just, it just blew his mind. He said, I had made up this story and caused myself all this grief for a month. Think about that. Think about all that energy wasted. This is what you do when you buy into your stories. Now, again, my suggestion isn't to go through your stories and try to determine what's true or not. Again, I want you to ask yourself, does this story serve me? If it doesn't, toss that fucker out. Start telling yourself a story that actually makes you feel different. Because here's the thing. As you know, or at least should know, or maybe you don't know, maybe this is the problem is because you're in law, you don't believe this, but facts, my friends, are neutral. They are. Facts are just facts. Now they can be spun, which is what you guys are and gals are absolutely 
wonderful at doing, but by themselves, facts are just a fact, right? So for example, we tell ourselves, or there something happens, a circumstance happens, and that in itself is neutral. It's not until we tell ourselves something about it that we add the emotion behind it, and then that leads to the feeling. So there's a, there's a particular model that I think would be really helpful for all of you out there when you're dealing with these stories either in trial or in your life, and it's called, I don't know if it's called, it's just called the model, but it's C-T-F-A-R. So here's what this means, C-T-F-A-R. So C stands for circumstance. So that's whatever thing let's say, happened or you're worried about happening, okay? So that's just this neutral fact. Then there's the thought, that's T. Once you have a thought about that fact or that circumstance, then that you go to feeling, that's F, because the thought always produces a feeling. Once you have a feeling about something, that causes you to act in a certain way. As we've said, body language starts in the brain, and once you act in a certain way, you get a particular result, So for example, let's do the CTFAR model with the Randy story. So if we look at that, the circumstance, the fact, the thing on its neutral face is we, he observed a juror have a scowl on his face and cross his arms or whatever the body language is. That's a fact. On its own, it is neutral. If we just showed a picture of that juror to 500,000 people, they would all agree, yes, this juror has a scowl on his face and he's crossing his arms. Notice how we haven't attached any judgment to that circumstance or that fact. Then Randy had a thought about that. (laughs) Randy's thought was, this juror is going to kill my case. Now notice, the minute we have that thought, what feeling comes up? So there's a feeling of fear is what I'm assuming. We could go back and ask Randy, but I think most of us would have fear when that happens. And then what was the action? The action from that fear was constant worry. And what was the result? Now, he lost the case. I'm not going to suggest that it was because of this one juror and the worry, but I'm not going to also suggest it wasn't. Who knows? Maybe that took Randy off his game. In many cases, it absolutely does. Now, when you use that model, you can use the model, and I'm throwing it out there because I think it's really helpful. I use it with my coaching clients all the time. You can use that model to reframe. So let's let's say that you are in Randy's position at trial. You do see this juror and you do tend to go down the road that Randy himself went down. You can also then one night at trial, after trial's over, you've had dinner and you sit down, you look at this model, you can reframe it for yourself because here's the great thing. And here's what I'm going to teach you guys throughout this podcast as we go on this journey together is you can choose your thoughts. They don't just happen to you. They don't just pop into your head and you have to accept them. You can choose your thoughts just like you choose your clothing every day or choose what you what you want to eat. That's the power of becoming a high-performance trial attorney. And I'm going to be using that term high-performance quite a bit as we move into the future. And you'll know why in a few weeks. That's <laughs> my great reveal. But you can choose your thoughts. And not only can you, you should because When you allow your thoughts to take over and tell you these stories and start buying into these stories, that's when unhappiness comes in. That's when you get taken off your game, so on and so forth. So if you go back through that model, the circumstance in your second model is the same. A juror with a scowl on his face. End of story. Arms crossed. Still a neutral fact. But we can change now the thought and see what happens when we do that. We can change the thought to maybe this juror has a stomach ache. 
Or maybe this juror, uh, grandmother passed away. So on and so forth. We can have a different thought. There's some reason why this juror has a scowl on his face and has nothing to do with me. And notice how that produces a different feeling. The feeling then is relief or a variety of other things. You can think about what it would be for you. And then that produces a different action, which is let's get back to work. I'm putting that aside. I don't have to worry about that because that's not about me. And that produces a different result, which is either winning trial or feeling like you did your best, whether or not you won trial, whatever that case may be, that result is going to be different. You know, I was working on this with a client in my office recently, and she came in and she said, you know, I, I, I said, is there anything you need to say to get present, which is how I start all of my coaching sessions so that we can get to work. And she said, yeah, I've, I've, I uh, had to fire somebody last week. And so as we started to delve into that, it kind of became our coaching session. It's like, you know, I think I actually want some coaching around that. I said, great, let's dive in. And so we, we made our way over to the CTFAR model. And so we put circumstance, you know, I had to fire somebody um, last week. And her original path that she walked down, the thought she had was, damn it, I should have seen this coming, right? I shouldn't have hired this person. And then that thought led to a feeling of guilt and and embarrassment and shame, which then led to the action of, you know, actually firing the person and going back to the team and telling them, you know, this person has been fired, we've handled this, so on and so forth, which then resulted in the team feeling like, okay, she handled it. So the result in that case wasn't necessarily negative. The team was better off without the person there, she did her job, so on and so forth. But when we created the new model, when I said, let's go back and do this differently, let's pretend that we have the opportunity to change our thoughts in the moment. The circumstance is still the same. I had to fire somebody. But let's choose a different thought, which is I have the skills and leadership to be able to handle this. No problem. I said, what, is, what feeling does that create in you? And she looked at that and she said, confidence. I said, yeah. And I said, what kind of action would you take there? She goes, you know, I think I'd take that same action, but it would totally be different. I said, yeah, how would it be different? And she said, well, in the first case, I kind of went to my team like, hey, you guys, I'm sorry this happened. I should have, you know, known, but, you know, we've handled it and so on and so forth. She said, whereas if I'd had that thought that we just came up with, I could have gone to the team and said, hey, thanks for bringing this to my attention. I appreciate it. I've handled it and we're moving forward. And she said, that just feels so different and it comes off so different. And you can hear it in my voice, the difference. Yes, she ended up taking the same action and got the same result, right? She handled it and her team is better off. But one feels better to her. And I tell you right now, it probably feels better to, it would have felt better to the team. So it's not always that the thought will lead you down the wrong path. That's often the case. But it also, sometimes you'll, you'll still do the right thing, but it will just not feel great and it won't come off great. You won't communicate well. So that's why I want you to start challenging your thoughts because you can choose them. You can choose your thoughts. And therefore, you can choose not whether your brain tells you stories because it will, it will constantly do that. But you can choose to ask yourself, does this story serve me? And if it doesn't, then you can tell yourself a new story. You know, going back to the story with the female trial attorney, I told her that she can create stories that actually serve her. And she said, you can't make up your own story. And I said to her, you just did. We don't know for sure whether those 
male trial attorneys were treating you in that way because they were sexist. You made up a story too. You don't know the truth. So make up a story that serves you. Walk into trial and tell yourself there are jurors here that are willing to help me. There are jurors here that are willing to hear what this case is about. There are jurors here that really can do a great job. How do you think that's going to change your communication? I'll tell you right now, it's going to change everything. Try this in your life. Try it outside of court. Start telling yourself the things that you need to hear so that you can act in accordance with those stories. You are the architect here. You are not the person that just has to live with the thoughts that float around in your brain. You get to choose those thoughts. You get to choose those stories. And not only can you, you should, because this is going to change the game. It is a game changer. Alrighty. Well, I hope this episode has been helpful in challenging your limiting belief that your stories are true. They aren't always true. And no matter if they are true or not, they don't always serve you. So you don't have to go with that. You can tell yourself a new story. If you want to learn more, you want to come out, work on your nonverbal communication, check out our website at sorrydlm.com. We've got some updated information there on our studio classes. We only have at, at this, whenever you're listening to this, hopefully we'll still be, well, not hopefully, I hope it fills. We've only got two skis left for all of 2019 for our Voir Deer studio, which is our most popular studio. Only two left until 2020. So this is your chance. It's in September. You can go to our website and check that out. But we also have an opening statement studio coming up in July, and that has a couple seats left as well as long as well as uh, in November. So that's a great way to get started with this work. Otherwise, you can come out and work with me one on one. You can buy strategy sessions online if you want to just listen to some recordings with some video. Uh, get on the phone with me for seventy five minutes. There's a variety of options. Don't be out there and feel like you're alone. You're not alone. I'm here to help. Please reach out. I'm happy to help sorrydlm.com or attorneywhisperer.com if that's easier to remember. All right, we'll talk soon. Glad to be back and we'll be with a new episode next week as well. Talk soon. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com for other must-have resources from Sorry Delamarte. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sari's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today. And until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.